there were two social workers, and they were walking along the uh, the streets through a really rough part of their city one evening, and they come past this this alleyway, and 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 they heard moans and groans and some things going down in the, in the alleyway, and so they 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 looked back in there, and they heard that this person was crying for help. After they investigated what was going on, they found this semi-unconscious man laying there in a pool of blood. He screamed out to them, help me. I've been mugged and I've been beaten. And he pleaded with them. The two social workers, they turned and they walked away. Their conversation changed a little bit and one of them remarked to the other one and said, you know, the person that did this really needs help. Now that's not social workers, is it? We think that a social worker is going to stop and going to give help. But the problem is, a lot of times in our world, those who have the ability to help recognize the need, they acknowledge it, but they look at other angles rather than fixing the need themselves. And maybe we should work on the person who actually did this to this man rather than the man who has been beaten. Sometimes we wonder if people have forgotten what it is to be a good Samaritan. Earlier this week, I heard a story of a local lady that had stopped to help a car that had been stranded on the shoulder. In the middle of her helping the car, she got beat with a two-by-four over her head. Ended up getting somewhere between 50 and 100 stitches because she decided she was going to help. The person who beat her over the head was a 10-year-old child because that child was angry with her parents for the arguments that had been ensuing in the car as they had stopped. No wonder we don't like to stop and give assistance anymore because we don't know who is out there or what's going to happen. But you know what? People are struggling. And we cannot turn the blind eye to those who are hurting, those who are stranded, those who are lost, those who are confused, and just act as if we don't care. I read a news story about the neglect of some people up in St. Paul, Minnesota. Back in August of 07. The story basically tells about a security video that was there, that was monitoring a hallway in an apartment building. And at least 10 witnesses to a crime had either stepped out their doors, looked down the hall, they had walked out, saw what was going on, turned around and headed back into their doors and left. More than an hour and a half, a man beat and sexually assaulted this woman. At least that's what the prosecutors up in Minnesota said. That surveillance photo video showed people actually seeing it and turning away. You wonder what is getting into people. Eventually the police were called and they discovered a Somali immigrant, Ray G. Ibrahim, she was 25 years old, was lying unconscious in the hallway early on a Tuesday morning. Can you believe it? Can you believe that people would ignore others because they don't know what's going on or for fear of their own things? And we, we become a society where we keep to ourselves. And if somebody has been stopped along the side of the road, the first thing we look for is, do they have a cell phone? Oh, they'll call and get help for themselves. 
And it's unfortunate that we live in this type of world. But it reminds me of that story that Jesus told about a Samaritan was on his way down. And, and he was kind of in the background of things because there was another fellow coming from Jerusalem down to Jericho and he got robbed, he got beaten, he got mugged. And he was left laying on the road naked, bleeding, and thought to be dead. When a priest and a rabbi go by and they pass around ignoring the situation when finally the Samaritan stops and gives aid. And I often wonder, would I have stopped myself? Or would I have been like the priest or like the, the rabbi that the, 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 you know, the, the, just started to walk another direction? Or would I have and would I have given assistance to that person? And that's a question that we each have to ask ourselves. When I was in college, I used to travel from St. Louis out to Sullivan, Missouri my last couple of years, and, and uh, that was where my, my part-time ministry was. Before I got married, I would often pick up hitchhikers and take them to church with me on Sunday morning. A lot of times those hitchhikers had just gotten out of prison in Pacific. But it was great. I'd get them in to church. I'd talk to them about faith. I might provide them a lunch and send them on their way. Once I got married my picking up hitchhikers kind of became almost nothing. And you wonder why. Well, part of it was I had concerns about my wife and didn't want anything to happen to her or might happen to me so that she would be fending for herself. And so we begin to slowly distance ourselves from the people around us who are struggling with things. Psalm 142, verses 3 and 4 says, When my spirit was overwhelmed within me, you knew my path. And the way where I walk, they have hidden a trap for me. They look to the right and they see, for there is no one who regards me. There is no escape for me. And no one cares for my soul. The question is, what about us? Do we truly care for anyone else's life? Matthew chapter 9, Jesus said this, so he was going through all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every kind of disease and every kind of sickness. Seeing the people, it says that he felt compassion on them because they were distressed and dispirited like sheep without a shepherd. You see, when Jesus saw the people, he had compassion. And I think in America, we're losing our compassionate spirit. We're losing the fact that, that even if we don't know somebody, that we might be able to interject into their lives and bring them something that might be good. And so we're avoiding conversations and contact with them. One of the first things I discovered on the first trip to New York City years ago, getting on the subway system and everybody is silent. They keep to themselves. In the midst of this densely populated city with millions, yet there is isolationism. People are afraid to interact with somebody else until they feel that it's safe. I pray we never get that introspect about our own lives. You see, when Jesus saw the crowds, He had this compassion on them. And the heart of Jesus needs to grab our hearts as well. And, and, and that we have some compassion for people who are hurting in our world as well. 
what kind of hurting people are we talking about? I mean, anybody who's hurting in any kind of form, it's not necessarily those who have broken down along the side of the road or those who have been beaten up by somebody else and left for dead. It's not about those who have maybe physical injuries. What about some of those things that we don't see? Maybe it's a spiritual injury in their life. And they need someone to step in and care for them. Can we not do something? Our text today is here in the book of Acts. And it's in chapter 8, beginning around verse 26. And in our story, we're going to discover that, that Philip is sent by the Spirit of God out into the middle of nowhere for an evangelistic experience. Now, I would think if I'm going to be evangelizing people, I might go to the city or interact in, in, a, in a suburb or a town, but to go out to a, a desert roadway? That's kind of odd. It's not where you might normally find people, but the Spirit is going to direct him to go out to this, this place. And here he's going to find a man with power, an appointment, most likely finances as well, but he's a little bit different. It's a story of how one man sought to lead another man to Christ. And I think there are lessons in this story for us. The first lesson might be this, that we need to respond to God's leading. The second lesson we might learn is that we need to show genuine interest. The third lesson is this, we need to share the good news. And finally, follow through to completion. Well, let's look at the first one, responding to God's leading. In Acts chapter 8, verse 26 through 29, an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip, saying, Get up and go south to the road that descends from Jerusalem to Gaza. That's a desert road. So he got up and he went, and there was an Ethiopian eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure, and he had come to Jerusalem to worship. And he was returning and sitting in his chariot and was reading the prophet Isaiah. Then the Spirit said to Philip, Go up and join this chariot. You see, I think we need to learn to respond to the Spirit's calling in our lives. And sometimes you get that nudge, and you don't really know what it is. It may be that inkling or that feeling or that, you know, that conscious awareness that maybe God's wanting me to do something. And instead of pushing it aside or ignoring it, we need to give in to it. And see what God might be leading in us in, in, in this opportunity that is before us. And so we have the Spirit that is there. And we just need to, to do the things that we are called to do. Well, let me ask you some questions. We're going to talk a little bit about our church here, first off, and see if you know some of the things that it takes within our church and whether or not it just happens on its own. How many of you know how to fill the church baptistry with water and how to heat it? I got a couple hands. Okay. I don't even know where the knob is to turn to, to at least heat it. A few more. All right. Okay, so we're, we're getting better. Maybe we need to have a lesson later on so that when you're evangelizing your friends and your family, you can bring them here and baptize them unless you want to take them down to the cold creek. You know, uh, you know the, the polar plunge for Christ would be wonderful, wouldn't it? 
But, you know, if you want to use heated, we need to figure out how to do that. All right, because it's not just me or Adam that, that are ones that are responsible for the baptisms. It's you. Understand that. It's every Christian has that responsibility to baptize. That, that, that command that God gives us, there, that Jesus says is the very final thing. He tells us all to go out into the world to make disciples and to baptize them. It's not just make disciples, bring them to church, give them to your preacher, have him baptize them. And, no, it's, it's, it's each one of us. So maybe we each need to learn how to heat up our baptistry. How many of you know how to turn on the air conditioning and the heat in this room? Oh, quite a few more there. Yeah, we, because that impacts us a little bit more, doesn't it? I, I know how to push the buttons, and sometimes people do push our buttons on the, 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 the knobs there for the, the thermostats, and they forget to unpush them later, right? Um, but we, we get, that's a little more our taste because we've got those same kinds of things at home and we're used to those things. Well, well, that's okay. How many of you could turn on our sound system? No hands. <laughs> All right, you flip a switch, you push some buttons, but which ones? All right, so yeah, I mean, a little more complicated, but yet we need that in order for you to hear me through the sound system, in order for Matthew to be able to record me so that we can put that online so the people who are not here today, they can listen to it later. All right, so those, those are things. How about, um, how many of you could prepare the Sunday bulletin each week? A few of you. Well, you know, we, we know that, it, that Amy does that, and, and it's done in her office on, on a computer in there, but how many of you know what to put in that bulletin and, and how to copy it and transfer it out? and to bring? I mean, those are all little things that, that it takes for us to just even have today. Sometimes when the Spirit is calling us to do this, we excuse ourselves by saying, I've never done that. I don't know how to do that. I, I'm not familiar with that. And so we're going to ignore that even though God is telling us go. And that goes same thing when it comes to our evangelism in life. And we say, well, I don't know how to win anybody to Christ. I don't know how to do a lead a Bible study. I don't know how to tell somebody about how to become a Christian. I've never done that before. I've never. And so we avoid those things even when the Spirit is telling us to talk, to share, to go, to do. What would it have been for Ethiopia, if Philip had resigned to the fact that that's a desert road. That guy's pretty powerful. He's got a chariot. I've never talked with somebody from Ethiopia before. Does he even speak my language? You know, what's going to happen if I stop his chariot? Because there's probably guards around this guy since he was the treasurer. Are they well, let's see if somebody else might do that. But here we have this opportunity to do things. My brother and I learned a long time ago how to change oil in a car and to change spark plugs and to work on cars. And, and so, But we couldn't walk to a, a vehicle and do that on our own. My goodness, there's a lot of people today that, that they have no clue about cars. They can drive it, and that's about it. But how many can disassemble an engine and put it back together? Just a few hands. Maybe. All right. My grandfather was a mechanic, and he taught us how to do those things. And so we, we followed him. He was the one who would lead out and show us how to do it, and then we could do it. There was no way we could have done it on our own. Now, we probably could have hit and missed a few things and left over like when my brother restored a clock and there were extra pieces. Now, granted, that clock probably still works, but you, know, you don't want extra pieces left over when you're working on something. You want to do exactly what it is that needs to be done. And so we need somebody to lead us in instructing us how to do those things. That same principle applies to 
filling our baptistry, to putting together our bulletin, doing all these different things that we need to know. But actually, I think there are a lot more things that we need to know. Listen to what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 through 20. Jesus came up to his disciples and he spoke to them saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Why is it that we can respond obediently to some people and not to other people? I bet if your boss told you that you need to do something, you would probably do it because you're going to get paid for it. And if you don't do it, you won't get paid. But why wouldn't you do that when someone is asking you to do something that does not necessarily have a paycheck to it? Unless you understand that the one of who's the God and the author of this universe also writes the paycheck for the universe, and his payment is a retirement plan that is unbelievable. And when he calls us to do things. And if people are going to hear the gospel and they're going to surrender their lives over to his influence and his leadership and his redemption and have this opportunity for a chance to be saved, you and I need to go to them rather than wait for them to come to us. We need to go to them, we need to speak, and we need to do something. Now, the second thing is this. In this passage of Scripture here in, 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 in chapter 8, we need to discover that, that we need to show genuine interest in, in who they are. Listen to what it says in verse 30 and 31. Philip, he ran up and he heard him reading Isaiah the prophet, and he said, do you understand what you're reading? And he said, well, how could I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Wouldn't that be cool? I'd like to sit in a chariot. I've, that would be just awesome, I think, you know? It, it, but but what showed, he showed an interest in this, in this fellow. Now you can imagine, here he is going down the road by himself in his chariot, and he's reading out of the prophet of the Old Testament, Isaiah. And all of a sudden, he noticed some fella is running alongside his chariot, listening to him. And he says, hey, do you know what you're reading? I don't know what I'm reading. And so he stops and he invites him to come up. Because Philip showed an interest in what he was doing. Hey, what you reading? I mean, that's a good thing to start a conversation. You're sitting on an airplane, somebody pulls out a book and you say, hey, what you reading? And you begin a conversation. Wouldn't it be great if they were reading the Bible? And you could say, hey, let me share with you what I know. But this is what we need to do. We need to show a genuine, genuine, general, a genuine interest in people. There's a lot of general and you know words out there you can use for that. But we need to show interest in others, and we begin by asking questions, not necessarily about ourselves, but asking questions about them and finding out where they are. And the more you ask questions, and the more you listen, the better it is for us to have an understanding of what we need to say and where we need to go and how we need to lead them. So, so you ask those questions. I mean, what, what are you reading? How are you? Can I help you? Take time for others and give of yourself to them. And that's important. There was a weekly scout meeting going on in, in, in the scout group, and the scoutmaster was, was sharing with the boys some of the wonderful things. And he wanted to know what they had done that week that was a good deed. 
And they're all talking, raising their hand, except this one boy. He didn't raise his hand and he didn't share anything. And the scoutmaster asked him, what, you haven't done anything good? And he says, I haven't done anything. He says, well, leave. Go out of here. I don't want you to come back to meeting until you've done something good for somebody else. About 20 minutes later, the boy came back in and he's all tattered and torn. And, and the scoutmaster says, what are you doing back so early? Well, what happened to you? He said, well, I went and did a good deed. He said, you did? Yes, I did. He says, I went out and I helped this old lady walk across the street. Well, how come you're all tore up? She didn't want to go. Sometimes our good deed is against what the people need. And we think we're doing something really good. So we need to listen. We need to have an interest in what their concerns are, not ours. So it's important for us to pay attention to the people around us. Just because you show genuine interest in people, it doesn't mean that they're going to really appreciate it. Of course, I think if we get too pushy with people, they will definitely rebel and back off. You can't be what I was quoted as hearing a lot of people used to say was, you know, well, those people are Bible thumpers. Well, what does it mean being a Bible thumper? It means they're taking the Bible and they're thumping other people on the head with it because they're trying to beat it into them. Well, that's not who we're supposed to be. We're not Bible thumpers. We're Jesus freaks, right? I mean, we, we're excited. We're fanatics about who he is and what he has done. But we don't beat that into people. We listen, we learn, we study, we observe, and we share what they need to hear. Sometimes it's a little bit at a time. Someone wrote this statement. They said, don't walk in front of me. I may not follow. Don't walk behind me. I may not lead. Walk beside me and be my friend. Carnegie wrote these words. He says, you can close some more business deals in two months by becoming interested in other people than you can in two years by trying to get people interested in you. You can close more business deals in two months by becoming interested in other people than you can in two years by trying to get people interested in you. See, it's not about you. It's about them. It's about you observing and listening and paying attention and showing genuine interest in who they are and finding out what their need is. And in doing so, now you have the opportunity to share that which is going to change and revolutionize their life. The third thing is this. We need to share the good news. That's the important thing. Each and every one of us to share the good news. Let's read what it says in verse 32 through 35. Now the passage of Scripture which he was reading is this. He was led as a sheep to slaughter, and as a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he does not open his mouth. In humiliation his judgment was taken away, and who will relate his generation? For his life is removed from the earth. And his, the eunuch answered Philip, and he said, Please tell me, of whom does the prophet say this, of himself or of someone else? Then, then, it was then Philip opened his mouth and he began, beginning from Scripture, he preached Jesus to him. You see, wherever we go, desert roads, city highways, wherever we go, we should take with us the gospel message and be willing to share the good news 
You see, good news. I mean, it, it's something good, right? I mean, that's what gospel means. It means good news. And, and we want to let other people know about it. I, I love getting those phone calls from my son and my daughter and them, them telling me about the things that are going on in their lives. And, and maybe they've got this or this, and they're sharing the good news. And it, it just brightens my heart to hear that something is greater. When my grandkids call and they talk about the day's discoveries and those, we like those good new opportunities, right? I like to hear from people in the church when the, they're, they're buying a new house, they've got a new job, they're, you know, they're going to have a baby. All those wonderful things that take place in their lives that people want to celebrate from, and they can't wait to share it. When you've got good news, it's got to be shared with everybody. And we post it all over Twitter and Facebook and any other place that we can put it. This is great news. But you see, Christians, we have the best news. It's better than a new baby. It's better than buying a new house. It's better than the new job or the promotion or the pay raise or whatever. We've got great news about Jesus bringing salvation to the world, even to these people who are lost and who are dying, who have been injured, who have been hurt, who have been cast aside by this world. We've got redemption for them, and it's in Jesus. And yet, we're going to post pictures about birthday parties, celebrations of whatever out. But we need to share what's going on in the lives of Christ in us. We all like to share good news. At least I think we should. A few years ago, there was a story told about a hospital chaplain. And I think this kind of story is going to probably dominate more of our media in the years to come. He had been released, well, fired, from his position as a chaplain at a hospital, and he claimed it was because the administration of the hospital did not like the fact that he prayed in Jesus' name. So here's so much from the article. Danny Harvey, he worked for the Leesburg Regional Center for more than seven years. He claims to be this victim of religious discrimination after he says the hospital staff forced him to resign from his post. The hospital officials, they deny any kind of discrimination against Harvey, and they said that his departure was brought about because his services were not consistent with the center's various faiths. Now, Lewis Bremer, who is the, the, the president and the chief executive officer of, of the hospital, said in this statement, he said, the interpretation that many Christians are getting is that prayer is completely banned from the hospital which couldn't be further from the truth, it, might, it would be very appropriate to say that Jesus' name in the presence of a Christian family, that's no problem. And in his statement he said, what must be understood is knowing the audience and what is appropriate for that particular situation. Now Harvey, the chaplain, he said this. He said, I would approach a family and offer them the chance for me to pray for them, but they have the option of saying no. I have never imposed my beliefs on others. Now, whether that chaplain was fired because of his, his prayers in Jesus' name or not, he's perfectly right in praying that way. But because that's what he believes and somebody else may not believe it, he did not match the hospital's criteria of faith-based ministry. 
Nevertheless, this man, even though he lost his job, he was pointing people to Jesus by a simple prayer. By invoking the name of Jesus, which we so loudly sang about earlier. The name of Jesus. And there's power in that name. And when the world doesn't like that power, they try and stop it. But the name of Jesus is what brings life. The name of Jesus is where salvation is encountered. And in Acts chapter 4, verse 12, it says, There is no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. The name of Jesus. The final thing that we need to do is discovered here in this chapter is, is that we need to follow through to completion. Listen to what he says, beginning in verse 36. As they went along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, Look, water, what, what prevents me from being baptized? This next verse is, is kind of remarked and alluded to. It, some translations don't have it, so it may not be in your Bible because the old text, the ancient scriptures, were fragmented, and so some verses are there, some verses aren't based upon who wrote and whatever. That's another study and another story. But it says this in verse 37. And Philip said, If you believe with all your heart, you may. And he answered and he said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And he ordered the chariot to stop and they both went down into the water and Philip as well as the eunuch and he baptized them. Andrew Carnegie, powerful businessman during the, the late 19th and, and 20th century. He is known for having built one of the most powerful and influential corporations in United States history. And later in his life, he gave away most of his riches to, to fund establishments for, for libraries and schools and, and universities all across America and, and, and Scotland and other countries around the world. I mean, he was trying to give away and do things that were going to change the course of people's lives. Carnegie, however, as a boy, was very poor. But he had a fierce ambition had a very pleasant personality and, and a devotion to both hard work and self-improvement. One time he said this, the average person puts only 25% of his energy and ability into his work. The world takes off its hat to those who put in more than 50% of their capacity and stands on its head for those few and far between souls who devote 100%. Now if Carnegie is right, then it sounds like most people don't work at all. And if that's true, then it may also be true that many jobs may never get finished and that they may only be half done. I don't like half done, sloppy jobs. And if I were to hire somebody, I want it to be completed. I don't want it to be left out there unfinished. And so I may not contract them again if they're going to come and do that kind of work. But I have to ask myself, do I finish my work the same way? Or do I leave it half done as well? We've got to step up and make sure that we complete the things that we have been tasked with. And I think I prefer this in the spiritual realm as well. 
I like to see people making strong, solid commitment to Christ when they decide to accept Him. I don't want them going halfway. I like to see people come faithful to their Sunday worship, daily worship, or get involved in service of the kingdom. That's the solid commitment to Christ that we each need to have. And it generally starts with initial commitment to Him. How far am I willing to let Him take me, mold me, use me, shape me? The Ethiopian asked Philip, well, here's water. Why shouldn't I be baptized? Why, why won't you let me be baptized? What, what, what's stopping me from doing this? Obviously, at some point in their conversation, Philip had, had brought him to the place and the position of understanding who Jesus was, the, the one that was being prophesied about in Isaiah, and gotten him to this position. There had to have been some kind of discussion alluded to within that conversation. It's not in Isaiah, but somewhere, Philip had brought him to the point of baptism. And as they're driving along this road from Jerusalem to Gaza, he says, hey, here's water. Can I get baptized? Can, can I become a Christian as well? Can I follow Him and be one of His disciples? Why can't I do this? Philip says, well, do you believe in Jesus? I love His confession. I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of the living God. They stopped that chariot. They went down. They got in that water and He baptized Him. Brought him to completion. Didn't just lead him out there and say, well, you know, when you get back to Ethiopia, I understand there's a church that started down there. If you go to that church, they'll fill you in a little bit more. And maybe, well, you can go up into the Mediterranean and get baptized there if you want to, but I don't have time for this now because I need to get back to Jerusalem. He doesn't say that. He doesn't say, well, why don't you come to church on Sunday and we'll baptize you there in front of everybody. Hey, we're going to have a baptismal service next month and anybody who has not been baptized can come and get baptized on that day. No, he says, look, here's water right now. Why can't I do this at this very moment? And at that very moment, they did. They stopped, they got out of the chariot, they went down into the water and he baptized him. And his life began with Christ. Some people question the need for baptism. We were just reading about a church yesterday, Maurice and I were. And, uh, well, they, they speak about it, you know, baptism. But in their little statement, it makes a, a comment that, you know, it's, a, it's an obedient act that the, the follower does. And she said, well, you know, they're saying, I said, no, 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 we need to read a little more because what they're saying is it's not necessarily necessary. It's, you just have to simply believe. Philip doesn't tell the Ethiopian, well, you believe in Jesus, that's great, we'll see you down the road, and eventually sometime if you want to, go ahead and get baptized. And he says, here's the moment. Let's stop and let's do it. Baptism was important for him there. Now, there are a lot of strong biblical reasons for baptism. Let me run you just through a few short examples. One, Jesus was baptized in the Jordan River by John the Baptist. And in doing so, he said, let this be done. It, it has to take place for me to fulfill all righteousness. John was trying to tell him, no, Jesus, you don't need to be baptized. Matter of fact, Jesus, you need to baptize me. And Jesus says, no. 
I've got to do this. I have to be baptized myself in order to fulfill all righteousness. And let me tell you something. If Jesus had to be baptized in order to fulfill all righteousness, who are we to think that we don't need it? We need it. Jesus commanded His people to be baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And it's my understanding that baptism is the only thing in the New Testament where we're commanded to do in the name of the Godhead, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And it's the only thing in which unites us into the position of having the resurrection tied to us. Read Romans chapter 6. Also, the apostles preached about it to the people, and they responded. On the day of Pentecost, there in Acts chapter 2, 3,000 were baptized. And just a little bit later, there were a couple thousand baptized, and then multiple people continued to be baptized. Everything was going on. In Acts 2.38, they're asked, what does it take for us to be saved? And Peter says, repent and be baptized. He doesn't say, just believe in Jesus. Here, let's pray the sinner's prayer. You'll never find the sinner's prayer in Scripture. You will never find any time in Scripture where somebody became a Christian based upon their praying, Jesus, to come into my heart. You'll find a time in Scripture, which we're going to get into here in a few weeks with Paul, in which he was praying, and as he was praying, Ananias shows up and tells him, Get up. Call on the name of the Lord. Go be baptized. Wash away your sins. And he does. And after his baptism, his blindness disappears. It wasn't through his prayer. Friends, if we're going to lead people to Christ, then we need to do our best to encourage them to make a strong, obedient commitment. They need to be baptized in Christ, and they need to be encouraged to continue out their obedience in Him because we need to continue to teach them to obey all things that Christ has commanded us. Let's close it out with this. Charles Spurgeon, I've used him a few times. What a preacher. You read some of his, his, his sermons and, and his, his, his writings. He had a wonderful grasp of the Word of God. He's a preacher during the 19th century in, in England. He's known as the Prince of Preachers. But he wasn't always so powerful or princely. One day... Charles Spurgeon, he, he passed through the door behind the pulpit at the Metropolitan Tabernacle and he saw a great crowd of people that were there ready to hear him preach. And he was heard to say, Oh God, help me. He understood that the message that he had to bring forward was something that was beyond his ability. And I think sometimes that's how all of us feel. When we encounter somebody who's not a Christian, we don't know what to say. Maybe we just need to cry out, oh God, help me. So that we can have the words to encourage them. You see, I know we have a big job ahead of us. There are many people who are around here in Versailles and in America and all over the world who need Christ as their Savior. We need God's help. And with His help, I think that we can reach some people for Christ. who are on their way out of town, leaving Jerusalem, going back to their hometown. And we might just catch them at the crossroads in the desert. We've got a lot of work ahead of us. And I pray that you are willing to do just that. 
that you're willing to go out where you need to go, to listen to the Spirit's nudging in your life, that you will show a genuine interest in the other people, that you're willing to speak the truth and love to them and, and guide them and lead them to who He is and take it to its completion. Don't just let it sit there and think, well, I planted the seed, let somebody else water and somebody else harvest. Granted, God can work in that, but He wants you to complete the job that you are capable of doing. And whatever that is, Give an invitation. Are you willing to be one who will go the distance with the gospel message and the lives of the people that you're encountering on your day? Let's stand together.